Welcome to the City Church Sermon Podcast. City Church is located in Frisco, Texas, just north of Dallas. Our hope and prayer is that the following message can serve as an encouragement, blessing, and an inspiration in your walk with Christ. If you have any questions about City Church and want more information about us, or you want to visit during one of our Sunday celebrations, please visit us online at citychurchfrisco.org or email us at hello at citychurchfrisco.org. If you would like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at citychurchfrisco.org slash give. Thank you for listening. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. God is good. Amen. We want to, we're excited because I think we all feel the amazing things that God is doing in our lives, in our church. And I really believe that as we move forward in the life of our church, one of the things that's going to begin transforming in our church is our families. This is the reason I felt heavy in my heart to speak on on the families the past, um, well, I started last week and, and these next few weeks because our families are under attack like never before. And if we're going to stay together as a family, if we're going to be, as our, our message series is called, if we're going to be sticky families, we need to know the principles. We need to know what the Bible tells us about being a family. Praise the Lord, someone. And last week we started, amen. And um, if you weren't here, I, I know we've been a little really, really slow on updating the podcast, but we're in the process, and I believe this week we're going to have it updated, and we should have last week's message um, here on, on online sometime this week. I invite you, let's go back and listen. I think it was a very important message for, for our church. Um, but, uh, but we're going to continue today. How do we develop sticky families? And I understand that we're all in different si- situations. Some of us are complete families. Some of us are incomplete families. We're not together with all of our families. But even then, the responsibility of us being Christians and having family members, it doesn't end. It's still there. And we have to seek God to help us in this process. So today, we're going to be looking in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you brought a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you brought a, your Bible app, app on your phone or your iPad, you can go ahead and tap there as well. If you didn't bring a Bible, if you didn't, you didn't bring that, we'll have it up on the screen for you. I encourage you, we're at church, we should bring our Bibles. Praise the Lord, church. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Go ahead, Brother Ellie, can you go ahead and go to it? There we go. The Word of God says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Can, you, can everyone say, on things above? Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. 
as we're standing, let's come before the Lord in prayer. And let's ask him that, that he would speak to us. I'm going to pray for you. Pray for me. Father, we come before your presence. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you because you speak into our hearts and you speak into our lives. And today, Lord, we know today is not going to be the exception. We know that today you have a word for us. Today there's a message that you want us to receive. And I ask you for my brothers and my sisters that, Lord, their hearts and all of our hearts would be open and receptive. Our minds would be attentive and alert to, to understand and to capture what your word and its meaning has for us today. That we can set our minds on things above. That our minds can be focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Can someone say amen? Amen. Give God a big hand praise and you may be seated. Hallelujah. Last week, as I was saying, we started this sermon series, Sticky Family. We're, we're talking about what keeps a family together. Have you ever touched, like, you, you didn't realize that you, there was something on the counter and, and you touched it and you pull your hands away from the counter and it's, it's sticky. And your fingers are, are sticky. <laughs> and it doesn't feel good because you don't know what was that. We don't know if it was food and how long it's been there or God forbid it was not food and it's something else and we're touching it. But when it comes to the family, I don't even know why I said all that. But when it comes to the family, we want to be sticky. We want to be together. We want to be a family. Uh, we want to be people that our families are, 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 are always in a, in a sense in their hearts that there is a unity within us. And last week we discussed that, that if we're going to keep a family together, that we need to have a strong foundation that we need to build strong and if and if we're going to withstand the pressure of life the only way we're going to withstand the pressure of life is that we need to be solid and in order to be solid and to build strong the foundation or the center of our family needs to be who it's not a trick question it needs to be Jesus we need to be Christ-centered families. We need to be families where our lives revolve around the person of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not in the middle of our families, if Jesus is not in the middle of our marriage, if Jesus is not in the middle of our dating relationship, if Jesus is not in the middle of our lives, then there will be other things that will come quickly to occupy the space in the center of our lives. Because there's things that compete. There are things that will always want to occupy that place. And, and, and we need to have a firm foundation in our, in, our, in, our, in our own lives, in our marriages, in our dating relationships, in our families. We need to have that strong foundation. And we're going to be looking ahead in the next couple of weeks and one of the, in two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about solving conflict in our relationships. And next week we're going to be talking about a little bit about our agendas. But... In order for us to set any of that stuff together, we need to determine today the things that are sacred to us. 
here's the thing. In order to settle our calendars, in order to settle our agendas, we need, to, we need something to build around. And if you and I do not establish sacred things or holy things in our lives, anything that comes into our lives will start building around that. And we have to settle what are the sacred things in our lives. And once we settle what's sacred, a lot of the conflict in our lives disappears. Because there's no longer competition between what we're going to do, what we should do, what someone else thinks we should be doing. But we have to make that determination first that Jesus is the sinner. And because Jesus is the sinner, we now begin to build around what's sacred in our lives. So what does this mean? Let's read this scripture one more time. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 2. The Bible says, once again, since then you have been raised with Christ, set, for, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. In other words, what, what Paul is saying here is that as soon as we put Jesus in the center of our lives, at the center of our marriages, at the center of our family, at the center of our dating relationships, now there are things that we begin to establish in our lives that are sacred. Our minds now look to things that are higher than the things that are here on this earth. We now develop new values. We now develop new, uh, new ways of living. And now we make decisions based on the values of our lives on things that are above. We're developing a new worldview to live by. So he says you got to set your things on minds, uh, on, you got to set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then verse 3, he says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what does this mean? You died. It means that now the old life, praise the Lord somebody. The old life that you once had, now you're dead to the old life. That old life where you made decisions that led to destructive things in your life. That old life where you made decisions and you hurt people around you. Now because you've died to that, now you have the opportunity to live for something new. For something that matters. You no longer have to live in the old life because you've died to not only in a symbolic gesture of now I'm dead to the past, but now in this, it's the true reality of your life. Your repentance to sin and your, subse your subsequent baptism has now freed you from the chains that sin had in your life. I mean, I don't know if someone's here today can be a little excited about what God did in your life. Once you were dead, but now you're alive. Once you were a slave, but now you're free. Once you didn't have Jesus, but now we have the opportunity to be in his house. We're, we're alive now. Our life is now hidden with Christ in God. He goes on to say in verse 4. When, God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death. Again, here's that death language. 
put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So what should we put to death? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. Tell your neighbor, you used to do that. In the life that you once lived. But now, here's another, another list that Paul says, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken, listen, you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See, what Paul is telling us is that now we have Christ-centered lives. We no longer have to live in any of these things that he's listed. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are free to live a better life. We are free to live a life that honors God. Now that Jesus is at the center of our lives, now that Jesus is at the center of our marriages, now that Jesus is at the center of our dating relationships, now there are things that we now look at and we can't look at them the same because we're developing new values in our heart. We're developing new values in our lives. We're starting to see Things a little bit differently because we have a new perspective. We have a new self. Let me see if I can, I can explain this to you a little bit. Whereas the world speaks of us living only once, God speaks to us of an eternal life. The world tells you you only live once. Enjoy your life. Do what makes you feel good. Enjoy yourself. But the Bible is very clear in that this is not the only life. This is a passing through. We're journeying through the physical realm into our spiritual eternity with Christ, with Jesus. And we have to understand that the temporal, which is what the world offers us, the temporary satisfactions, the temporary joys, that the temporal will always be lesser to the eternal. See, the world would have you believe that there is nothing after this earthly life and will attempt to make your life all about the temporary things. It's about that next paycheck. Praise the Lord, someone. It, it, it's about that new car. It's about that new telephone. It's about that new technology. It's about the next guy in your life. It's about the next girl in your life. It's about that next job. It's about that next career. It's about that next promotion. And the world will tell you these are the important things in life. These are the things that you need to chase after. These are the things that are going to matter. But the Bible tells us otherwise. That those things at the end of the day, we can't take them with us. And if Jesus is not at the center of our lives, we will begin to chase after temporary things in our life. But if Jesus is at the center of our lives, 
we begin to develop sacred or holy values in our lives that we will cling to. Things like the Ten Commandments where you never even thought twice about them. But now they actually begin to hold some significance in your life. Now, now you're beginning to hold in high esteem the name of God. And it's not quite as easy for you to use the name of God like you used to use it in vain or in cursing or in, in things that were not honoring to him. Now you're beginning to understand the value of the word that comes out of your mouth. And that there shouldn't be dishonest words that come from your lips. Now you're beginning to understand the value of your marriage and you understand how it doesn't honor God when we're unfaithful in our marriages or when we're lusting after things that don't pertain to us. You're, you're beginning to realize that the Sabbath day, the day of rest is holy and they should be dedicated to God. Begin to realize that there are things that are holy in your life and that you can no longer trade them in for temporal things. Tell your neighbor, you can't trade it in. You can't trade it in. The temporal is lesser than the eternal. The temporal is lesser than the eternal. So what are these things? I'm going to give you a list, and, and I'm going to kind of go through this and in a certain way. I'm trying to preach to you, but in a certain way, this is going to come across as teaching. But this is important. I believe this is important with all my heart because if we don't get right in our hearts what the values, what values we should be holding on to, then we're always going to be in conflict with our agendas, with the things that are important. We need to have sacred things in our lives. So I'm going to give you three things. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not the only three things. But I think you guys only have patience for about 25 minutes and then you start running out of patience because I can give you a list of 20 things, 30 things. And I don't make them up. They're in the Bible. But I, I picked three and they're not in any particular order. But I, I think that if we start here, a lot of the other things are going to come into line. Amen? You guys ready? All right, everyone's going to be taking notes. I know, I know. Okay. So what are some sacred values that we can begin to develop in our lives? Number one, I put down, and this is the name of our, of our, of our sermon series. Number one is togetherness or stickiness. When God... Listen, when God created Adam, he created an individual. But when God created Eve, that's when everything changed. When God created Eve, God created a society. God created a family. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. He said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Everyone say united. Come on. Let's say it like we're awake. Say united. To his wife. And the two will become one flesh. 
So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, everyone say together. Let no one, let no one what? Let no one separate it. I believe that one of the, the greatest values that you and I can have in our families is that of being together. And it goes, it starts with the husband and the wife. But as the children start coming, that becomes included in the family. And, that, and now we are, as a family, should always be striving to find ways to be together because it should be a value of ours. Now, when Sister Sonia and I got married not long ago, we died, listen, we died to our single way of life. And we began to live our marriage, we began to live for our marriage and for our family. In everything we did and in everything we do, we are together. And as our family began to grow and as we began to see how easy it was for things to come between us, we began to fight for the togetherness in our family. So much so that even our families, our extended families, began to realize that, that they're not going to always be around because there's a value in their lives. And, and if I invite Sister Sonia, then, then Daniel's going to come. And if I invite Daniel, then Sister Sonia's going to come. And if I invite uh, uh, Nathan, well, he can't drive. So the whole family's going to come. They're going to be around because there was a togetherness in us. And togetherness became what we are as a family. You could almost say, you know how when you buy a computer... It comes with default settings. In our family, I, I would say that the default setting in our family is being together. This is how I know this. Every time my children come home, they come up to me, and one in particular comes up to me and asks me, are we doing anything today? The question, listen to the question. Are we doing anything? Not are you guys doing anything? Because he understands that whatever it is that we're, that's going to happen that day, it's going to involve all of us. And here's the thing, church. It's not easy to be together sometimes. Not, no, 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 no. Not in a way that we don't want to be together. But there are so many things that pull us apart. When we were younger, it was a little easier, but still there was some difficulty involved. And as we got to our children being adolescents, now one had a baseball game here, then another one had a baseball game there. And things were starting to separate us and not keep us together. And we had to fight and change certain things to make sure that we're together. And now that one of them is driving in the house, now it's also becoming a challenge to remain together. Because... But yet the question is always, are we doing something today? Because they've learned throughout the years that together is important. We're a family. And I really believe that 
for a family to keep moving forward and to be united, this is something that you have to establish as soon as possible. And I don't care what age your kids are. If this is not something that, that, that is there, you can change it. If your default setting is separate, it's time to change it to being together. See, because when we're going to be separate, there's a lot of planning involved. I can count on two hands. I can't use two hands, right? But I can count on two hands how many times I've slept alone in my house. Maybe on one hand. And it's the creepiest, most unsettling thing to be alone at home. Because I'm not whole. I need my family. Now, I understand, again, there's challenges to this. There's different stories. Sometimes there are single-parent families and there are parent, there's parents that don't have their children with them. But in some way, you have to develop some habits and some ways of living where even if you can't be with your children, even if you can't be physically together, that they know that mom, that they know that dad is always present in the life just the way that we may not see God physically, we may not see our father up in heaven before our eyes, but we know that Jesus is with us. We have to remain together. So what's sacred in your family? Is being together sacred for you? Or is the natural state of your family, is it being separate? I believe that if we're going to be a sticky family, this is the, one of the first things we, we need to work on. We need to work on being together. And if you don't like each other, you still need to work on it. Because I know. There's times that relationships get rough. Relationships get tough. We get annoying and we get irritating and we make decisions that make the other one think like, what, what's wrong with you? What's going on in that head of yours? But it doesn't make togetherness less important. We fight through those things. We battle through those things. And we get through those things together. Not apart. Not apart. The second thing I would tell you, number two, you got to put God first. Again, this is no particular order. You might say God at first should have been the first thing. I'm not saying one is more important than the other. Than the other. I think all of these are equally important. If a marriage or if a family or if a dating relationship is going to have the type of life that has eternal significance, you are going to have to quickly settle what is first or who is first in your lives. You have to settle the first in your life. If God is going to be first, then we have to settle in our hearts that God is going, listen, that God is going to be our first counsel. What does this mean? Again, the world will tell you to chase after temporal things. 
So the world offers you material things. The world offers you fame. The world offers you success. The world offers you things that are temporary. But when you seek God's counsel, you'll find yourself to be like what David wrote in Psalm chapter 1. I just preached on Psalm chapter 1 about three weeks ago where he says in verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in, in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law when? Once a week during the city group, on Sundays at 1 o'clock, at Sundays at 3 o'clock, as you're listening to a preaching on your way to work. No, who meditates on his law day and night. And if we're going to say that God is first in our lives, verse 1, it says that blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. That's the, the temporal. Blessed is the one who's not concentrating on the temporal things of life, on the temporal things that bring joy for just a fleeting moment, that brings satisfaction for just a short amount of time. But the one that's truly blessed is the one who focuses on those things that are eternal, that their delight is the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. In a particular rough season of ministry for Jesus, even Jesus had a rough time at times. He had moments when nobody would show up. He had moments when people left him. And there was this one moment in his ministry when, when he said something and he preached a sermon that nobody liked. And a lot of people in that moment, the Bible tells us, they turned away from Jesus and never came back. And in a very, very open and very uh, human way, Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them, are you guys going to leave as well? And Peter stands up and he tells Jesus with a lot of boldness and he proclaims with all his heart, who would we go to? Because it appears to me that the only one who has words of eternal life is you. We're staying right next to you, Jesus. Even when the going gets rough, even in the storms, even when I feel like everyone's leaving and deserting, I am right by your side because you are first in my life. And I want to look at the eternal things, not the temporary things. Peter said, you're the one that has words of eternal life. No one else has them. Who will we run to? Who would we possibly go to? And this is what I think that we tend to forget in our lives, that we're not going to get a life of real significance and a life of eternal results without turning to God first. Because he's the one who has eternity in his hands. Jesus said it this way, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He has to be our first counsel. You're going through something difficult in your life. You, you, you have to open your Bible. 
and say, Lord, I don't know what your word says about this, but I need something today. Pastor, I'm going through this difficult time in my life. Uh, is there anything that you recommend that I should read in his word? Uh, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. Pastor, I need some help. Pastor, I don't know, you probably can't do anything, but I need you to help me pray. Because I am seeking God first in my life. He's got to be our first counsel. Because when he becomes our first counsel, then everything that we do is informed by God's word. The way we treat our marriage is informed by God's word. The way we handle our finances is informed by God's word. When we talk about being giving God the first in our lives, it means that when you and I look at our finances, it means that, you know what, before I spend anything, before I send out anything, I set aside my tithe. I set aside my offering because that is holy unto the Lord. And I'll challenge you today. Brother Angel did a great job of challenging you and reminding you of God's challenge. If you're struggling financially, how are your, how's your tithing? Are you putting God first? Are you, are you struggling in your, in your marriage or in your relationships? How is your tithing? Because where are, the, Jesus said, where your heart is, that is where your treasure is as well. Or where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Are you willing to let go of what you consider your treasure? Because you know, temporary, it's temporal anyways. Someone's going to take it. Come on, praise the Lord, somebody. AT&T is going to take it. Uncle Sam's going to take it. Someone's going to take it. What say, no, Lord, I trust you. I'd rather have 90% that is blessed than 100% that is cursed. Because when God is first in our counsel, he, he determines our marriages. It's informed by our, mar- our marriages are informed by God's word. Our finances are informed by God's word. Our schedules and our agendas are informed by God's word. Because God is first. God is first. This is the last thing today that I'm going to say. So the first one was what? Togetherness was being stickiness, right? The second thing is God put God first. And the third thing I would say to you today is authenticity. Authenticity. Here's what I mean by being authentic. When you and I learn to be authentic, it means that we are consistent with what we say and with what we do. Okay, let me say that again. Authenticity means that we need to be consistent with what we say and what we do. Okay? If you and I are going to live a life that's genuine, we're going to live a life that is authentic. We need to make sure that what we say lines up with what we do. It means that if I'm telling my kids, 
Kids, you need to seek God. He is our provider. He is our everything. He is who gives us life. He is who blesses. He is the one that provides and has given us everything that we have. That means that if I am going to live an authentic life, when I am going through some difficult things in my life, listen, that means that if I'm going to be authentic and I'm going through something difficult, it, do, it doesn't mean that I freak out in the midst of the difficulty. Because if I'm saying God is my provider, you know what that means? If I'm going to be authentic, it means that when that difficult moment, I've lost my job, I'm having trouble in my in my marriage. I'm having trouble in a dating relationship. I'm having trouble with my parents. I'm having trouble lining up some things in my life and things just don't seem to be working out. And if I say God is my provider and I'm going to be authentic, it means that I'm going to come before the Lord and my children and my family is going to see, wow, dad, mom says that, 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 she, God is his is her provider. Dad says that God is his provider. And look, we're he lost his job. But what is he doing? He's praying. He's on his knees. He said he's not eating today because he's fasting. Our kids are learning something from us. But what happens when we lose our jobs and we're having a difficult time um, making ends meet? We're sitting at the table and instead of speaking blessings and speaking things that are going to uh, encourage our family, we're talking about that unfair boss. And we're talking about how that job was no good anyways. And, and we're talking about how things have been so difficult and the, our kids and our children and our family are seeing us fighting with one another. Wait a minute, I thought God was, was our provider. Where did God go? The next thing you know, our children seeing us borrow money from somebody. Wait a minute, I thought God was our provider. Then you're finding yourselves in holes that you can't dig yourself out of because you forgot to be authentic in your faith. And you forgot that who is supposed to be your provider. And you're trying to figure out ways to make things work on your own. And you're not seeking God. And if there's a value that you and I should seek in our families, it's the value of being consistent in what we say with what we do. Lord, I'm going through some difficult moments, but that doesn't mean I stop tithing. It doesn't mean I stop going to church. It doesn't mean I stop seeking you. It doesn't mean I stop talking to my friends at church. It doesn't mean that I, I, I no longer have faith. It means that I'm turning to you now. Because I've said for so long you're my provider. Come on, Jesus. You can't let me down. I've told. I've told my children. I've told my family. I've even evangelized to my cousins and my aunts and my uncles who don't believe in you. I've told them that you are my everything. And now that I'm losing everything, I can't just go running off. Like there's no tomorrow. I will hold fast in my belief. And as Peter said, who, who would I run to? Where, where would I even go? 
For it's only you, Jesus, that has the words of eternal life. It's only you, Jesus, that can bless my life. James says it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What does it say? Do what it says. Verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the law of God, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but what? Doing it, what happens? They will be blessed in what they do. What are the sacred things in your family? What are the holy values in your family? Is togetherness sacred for you? Is putting God first sacred to you? Is being authentic a holy value for you? Guys, God is first. But yet, any little thing that happens, we, we fall apart. Listen, if we're going to be strong families, if we're going to be a strong church, we need to hear these things. They don't feel good at times. Because it confronts us and... I'm not saying my family has it all down pat perfect. We, like I said, sometimes we, now we struggle a little bit more with our togetherness because our children are grown and we got to be a little more intentional with things and it costs more money to pay for their food and, <laughs> and all these things come into play, right? I'm just being honest with you. And putting God first... My, I believe my family does a good job at it, but there are things that we can still do even a better job at. And being authentic. Authentic's a hard one because only your family really knows. People outside your family, they don't really know. They don't know if what we're doing up here. Shouting and singing and praising God. They don't know if that's what's actually. People out there, they don't know if that's what actually is happening at home. When you come to church and you're, you come to this altar and you're, you're worshiping God and you're praising God, that's great and everything. And, and authenticity is really difficult for, for us. It's really easy, better said, to, to, to kind of fake it till we make it. Because we can be worshiping God and nobody truly knows if this is real. Only our children, our spouses, those who we live with know. Because they're the ones that know, well, they really don't ever pray at home. Well, they say that they believe. They, we say that we're this and we're that, but yet it doesn't quite line up. It's authentic. Being authentic is it 
a value that we hold dear to us. Let me tell you, you're not too late. You're here. And if you're here, it's because God wants you to hear this message. And I'm not calling anyone out. This is just, this is calling to me in my heart. This is calling, I know, to my life. But I want to challenge you. Will we continue being the same people year in, year out? Or can we decide today, can we decide this week that there are some sacred things we need to begin to establish in our families? Will it happen overnight? No. Will it happen next week? Maybe not. But if you start working on it, maybe six months from now, maybe a year from now, your, your, your family life will look so different. These aren't the only three values. I don't know. Maybe some of you already have all this down. But you can look at the Ten Commandments and decide, well, there's some things I need to work on there. Or we can go to that list in Colossians and we can see some of the things that we should have thrown off of us because that's the old self. And now God is telling us not longer to be angry but to be live in joy and we struggle with our anger. I don't know what it is that you struggle with. But you got to start building sacred things in your life. Set your mind on things above. We want to have sticky families. You got to build strong and you got to build around the sacred things. I'm going to ask you to stand. I believe God is convicting our hearts today. And I'm going to ask everyone today to come to this altar. And just be honest with the Lord. And say, Lord, there's things I need to work on. There are items in my life that I need to start input, not inputting, but we need to start building into myself. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's dishonesty. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's comparison. Maybe it's one of these that separateness in our families. Maybe it's not being authentic. Maybe it's not putting God first and we put everything else first before God. I don't know what it is. You know. And I believe God is working right now in your heart. And he's putting in your heart those things that you need to work on. In this moment, this place up here is a sacred place. God will meet you here. So I'm going to say a quick prayer over all of us. Then I'm going to invite you to step forward. And just speak to God for just a moment. This might not be a loud altar call. This might not be an altar call where, where they're going to be playing really loud. And, no, we're going to 
I want this to be a reflective moment, a convicting moment. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Lord Jesus, we stand before you today. There's nothing we can hide before your presence. There is nothing that we can keep from you today. Today, Lord, we just want to be completely open. And we admit that there are some things that may be lacking in our lives that we need to start building. And I ask you today, Lord, that you would help our church. That as they come forward into this altar, that they can feel your love. That they can feel your peace. That they can feel your forgiveness. And above all, that they can feel hope for the future. Their families can be together. Their families can be strong families. Whether they're all in the same place or whether the different circumstances has them separated. Lord, even so, every person here can have a strong family. We believe it in Jesus' name.